This episode is brought to you by Get Mobile ID, the smart choice for MDL implementations. Put citizens in control with Get Mobile ID, fully ISO compliant and UL certified for all transaction modes. Learn more at getgroupna.com. Welcome to AnvaCast, bringing news, information, and expertise to the Anva community. Now celebrating our 90th anniversary. Here's your host, Ian Grossman. Enjoy the show. Welcome back, everybody. I am here this week with two returning guests, familiar voices on the AnvaCast. Eric Jorgensen, the director of the Arizona Motor Vehicle Division and the first vice chair of the Anva board, and Mike McCaskill, our director of identity management here at Anva. Gentlemen, welcome back. Good morning, Ian. Thank you for having us. Now, you're back because to revisit something, it's been, oh my gosh, almost two years ago, maybe, we had a conversation that AMVA was going to develop what we call the Digital Trust Service, which is a technology to enable interoperability of mobile driver's licenses, uh, particularly as it relates to being able to read the encryption of the mobile driver's license when presented. Now, we've talked a lot about mobile driver's licenses on other episodes. There's a lot of stuff on our website. So we're going to kind of skip over what is a mobile driver's license. I think for the few people who may not be familiar, there's still a lot of resources out there. But let's talk a little bit about what is a digital trust service, why it's needed, whether Anva did it or anybody else, what it means for that for that process. Eric, can you kind of outline what's the concept behind a digital trust service and why it's a needed component of an MDL ecosystem? Yeah, I, I think that, um, <clears throat> you know, as we think about the way, you know, like you said, we've had a lot of focus on how we, as, as issuing jurisdictions, create mobile driver's licenses and put them out to the public. And this is the kind of the other side of that is how do, how do other people consume it? Mm-hmm. How do they know that they can trust that this new digital mobile driver's license is real, mm-hmm. that, it's, uh, that it's valid, that it's been issued by a state? And that's, that's kind of what the goal of the digital trust service is, is to give them one place to go, give these reliant parties one place to go to uh, verify that our that the, the, the mobile driver license that they're accepting is real and, and comes from the state. And, and a little bit beyond that even to, to say there is value in what that state is providing, that we've, we've met certain criteria in, in doing this. So it's kind of a almost a seal of approval for, mm-hmm. for that driver's license that people will learn to trust. It's also just convenient because you only have to go one place to, to get it. Um, if you think about how the few places that are accepting mobile driver's licenses today, how they're doing it, I mean, they come to, for Arizona's assurance, for our, our public key, they come to our website and they download a key and they have to do that with every single jurisdiction that they're going to accept it from. This is one place to go and get the and that's certainly doable now with the dozen or so jurisdictions that are issuing it, but long-term and scalable, probably not sustainable for everybody that would want to read it. And then also for the jurisdictions that are issuing it to have to interact with all those different relying parties. Instead, everybody can point to, as they do with so many other things in our world, point to Anva as the, the hub in the middle. And honestly, even now it's beginning to be, you know, as more people are coming on and people don't know where to go, we're, we're, we are fielding phone calls for, hey, how do I get the key? Or, mm-hmm. you know, is this the current key? You know, so we, we is are- the current? Have you updated yeah. to always just check this one source and you'll know whether it's exactly, right or not. Exactly, exactly. So it's already, it's already starting to, to be that n- very needed 
core piece of the infrastructure. And I guess the other piece, the other value add is understanding as a relying party that these keys have met certain criteria as, a, as opposed to as a relying party has jurisdiction X done what jurisdiction Y has done, but I know by the fact that it's in this middle place, they've all met a similar standard. Mike, is that is that accurate? And if so, what's determining what that standard is? It is accurate, and the, the standard uh, that we're working with is the ISO 18013 standard of, of is part five. Um, if you leave it in an ecosystem where the relying parties go to the states, the states can choose for themselves which standard they want to use to issue their their digital credentials. And MDL is a specific digital credential, which is uh, based on the 18013 Part 5 standard. So the DTS onboarding process requires a state to have a third-party evaluation of their implementation to ensure that it meets that 18013 standard. Plus, we make sure that it also meets the implementation guidelines that AMVA has produced around that standard for North American use. Mm -hmm. And that way, the relying parties don't have to ensure that each state is doing the same thing. We do that for them, and the standard that we're using is 18013.5. That also provides a consistent mechanism across the board for all jurisdictions, all issuing authorities to have to meet so that the, issue, the relying parties don't have to wonder what each state has done. They've all had to do the same thing. And if, if they're in the DTS, if their public key is in our list, then they have met those requirements. Mm -hmm. Now, any entity within this community could have stood up this type of function in the middle. How did we discover that it made sense for us as AMVA to be the ones to provide that solution? So when AMVA started out in this process of looking at ways to help the jurisdictions with MDL implementations, uh, we did an RFI. We asked the industry, you know, who would be best suited mm -hmm. to stand up a digital trust service, a VICAL solution? And um, many, most of the industry said, AMVA, you are well suited. You're already there. You already have the connections. You already have the trust of the of all of the, the relying parties and issuing authorities based on the work that you've done in the past. So it makes perfect sense for AMVA to stand up this digital trust service, do all of the onboarding processes to ensure that the jurisdictions are meeting those requirements so that the relying parties can trust the issuing authority implementations. So it, it was, it, as you said at the beginning, it was, it's been a, a multi-year process. Yeah. And at the very beginning, we asked that question. Who should do this? And there are many, as you said, there are many uh, entities out there that could have done this. But ensuring that you find a party that's trusted in the industry already and, and has, has a background and a record of doing the right things within that ecosystem, AMVO stood out as the, as the lead. And Eric, I, I would suppose that there's two advantages there. One is that in one ways we're an objective body in the middle because we're neither an issuer nor a relying party. Yet, if we were to have allegiance, so to speak, uh, obviously it goes to the issuing agency, which I think is something important that I've heard you talk a lot about, which is that we have to make sure no matter what we're doing in this space, the integrity of the credential and the credential as a public good is paramount. And so how does ANVA as operator of the DTS fit into that philosophy? Yeah, I mean, that, that's kind of been a core guiding principle that, that I, uh, this, you know, we, we, we've 
for years issued driver's licenses and state identity cards, and that's become the, the de facto uh, national identity and uh, document in the United States. And it um, it's put identity at our core. AMBA recognizes that. And, you know, if you look at our, uh, our tagline across the bottom, mm-hmm. secure identity sits right there. And um, it, that's, I think that's the reason for not only from a reliant party why it makes so much sense, but from, from a jurisdictional standpoint, it makes so much sense that, you know, we can focus on that secure identity piece. And we make sure because, because the, the, the jurisdictions are the, what governs AMVA, what, what directs AMVA, the, the committees that, um, so the Identity Management Steering Committee is made up of, of uh, chief administrators from, from states across the country, um, some who are currently issuing MDL, some who are th- mm-hmm. will be doing that in the future and are not doing it yet. And it takes those voices and makes sure that what we're doing is meeting that goal of having uh, a secure, uh, trusted identity continue to be a public good that's provided uh, by the states because we see that as our mission. We, as jurisdictions, we see that as, as core to it. And because, because AMBA is us, yeah. uh, we, we make sure that um, that, that mission's met. Yeah. And we've, you've both mentioned states and country, but to be clear, this is actually inclusive of all the EVA membership across all of North America. So the, the vision would be that an issuing agency in Canada, as much as in the U.S., would be able to participate in the same approach. Mike, do you see any differences between a U.S. member and a Canadian member being able to utilize the DTS? Uh, no. The, on, on the, on the, in the basics, absolutely not. Uh, either... Canadian uh, jurisdictions or U.S. jurisdictions can participate. There are some differences in how credentials are, or how identities are established in the two countries. Uh, of course, in the U.S., we we uh, have the real ID requirements that we're the jurisdictions are, are meeting, and then in Canada that doesn't apply, but they have similar. Mm-hmm identity uh, establishment processes uh, and ensuring those are, 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 are similar make, will make sense. But as far as applying, going through the third party attestations and doing all the things that, they, that a Canadian province would need to do to get into the DTS, they have that ability. So now, fast forward, we decide to do it, we've been working on it. The platform went quote-unquote live, and I say quote-unquote live in late 2023 because it was there and up, but there wasn't anything in it yet. And now we're starting to go through the process of putting things in it. So my question, Mike, is, um, is there anything in it? There are. There are two keys in it. Maryland and Utah, and we have more on the way. Um, we we are working with two states right now to get theirs into the DTS. We're going through the documentation process, and during and during this, we've noticed some things that we needed to adjust in our application process. Um, things like how to build their public certificates so that it meets the DTS requirements, and we're republishing documents so that. All the states can have take advantage of these states who've gone in first, the the processes that they had to go through. But we anticipate this year having many more. So when we're talking about putting something in the system for our non-techies that are listening, for my my sister-in-law, who's the one family member who sometimes listens to to our podcast, uh, what's the when we talk about this thing going into it, what what is it? 
it's really just a string of numbers. It's a certificate. It's a digital element yeah. that we put into the system that um, is used by a relying party to take the encrypted data that's inside the MDL and authenticate it, that it was actually issued by an issuing authority that's a true issuing authority. It was issued uh, per all the requirements. But it's just a digital thing. It's, it's a token. Mm -hmm. um, and it's as simple as the issuing authority comes into a room, we authenticate the players in the space. Let me stop you right there, right? Someone now listen, go, wait a minute. This is for an electronic credential with a digital thing in the ethos, yet you have to go in person to get this digital thing. That is, that is specifically because we want to ensure that the people, the actual people that we are interacting with inside the jurisdiction work for the jurisdiction, mm -hmm. and they have the authority to make changes and add keys to our system in, inside their jurisdiction. So we actually go to them and check their driver license credential mm -hmm. to ensure they are who they say they are and their name is on the application from the administrator. Once we authenticate that they are real people, really working for the jurisdiction, then they hand us the key on a thumb drive. And we check that key for all the, you know, we, we check the identity of the key, if you will, they call it a thumbprint to make sure that the key that they've said they were gonna give us is the key that they actually gave us. And once all of that pans out, we actually just enter it into the DTS as we're sitting there. In reality, this is a very simple, in-person process that takes when things, as it works well, will take 15 to 30 minutes total. Um, and, and that's the goal, is to get uh, as many states as we can into the DTS during our, our MVP process as we're learning so that we can provide enough keys to allow our relying parties to help us with the download process. So we talk about more keys coming. You mentioned that Maryland, Utah are in there. Eric, you're here. Arizona is not yet on the list. For someone who's been on the forefront of this conversation for so long, I'm assuming it's not because you're not interested, but you're learning your own processes in Arizona that figures out how it matches with the DTS. Sure, and and actually, I'm, I'm very grateful to uh, Maryland and Utah for all the effort that they put in to kind of go first and, and to do this. As we were looking at this, we wanted to take the whole experience of, of taking that key and putting it into the DTS a, a little bit slow. Not because we want to move slow, not because we're bureaucratic, but because we wanted to learn from the experience. And so you do start with one, and you go through that first experience, and you learn a couple things from that, which means that the next time, the next one that you go and do, you've learned something from it, you adjust your, your process, and you do the next one. And we did that with Utah, and we've done that with Maryland. And now... It does mean that when I go to put my keys in, it's going to be an easier experience. But we also learned a few things, and that meant that I have to go in a ch and change a few things. Mm -hmm. You know, it's it's an interesting experience when you do. So Arizona has four different MDLs. You know, we have Google, Apple, Samsung, and uh, the Idemia-based uh, app version. And um, there gets to be some interesting things with how you create keys and what does it mean. Um, do you use the same keys? Do you use different keys? And these are all things that we're learning as we're going through and as questions come up and we think, hmm, we need to address that. 
And uh, so we continue to, to learn these things, to make some modifications, to address it. And every time that we do, it's easier and easier for the next jurisdiction to get in. Yeah, Arizona will be there. We'll be, we'll be there very shortly. But uh, uh, it's been a, a good learning experience as we've seen it happen. So the one piece that you mentioned, though, that's probably very common among jurisdictions is the offering it in different ways. Um, even if a jurisdiction, whether they choose to use something based with a traditional licensed partner or they just want to issue it to the existing wallets out there, uh, explain a little more whether or not it should be a singular key or multiple keys. Because from a relying party, um, I just want to know that it's Arizona's key. Why would I care that there's a Google key versus an Apple key? I just want to know that this is a good Arizona credential. Uh, and, and from the relying party, that's, that's absolutely what you want. And this is, as we said at the beginning, it's all about trust. And the, the issue comes up in, in this particular instance when you have these different flavors mm -hmm. that are all supposed to be compliant, that they're all supposed to meet the, the ISO standard, and they're all supposed to meet some other things that are in the guidelines. And you have to verify those independently because they are different products. And so it does take some time. Mike talked about independent verification, and we have, um, we have that on, on some of them and not on others of them. Mm -hmm. Some of them are ready to go and some of them aren't. And so if you have the same key across all of them, once that key is in the DTS and somebody goes to verify it, it would work to verify all four of them even though in that case all four of them haven't necessarily met the criteria yet or haven't or at least haven't filled out the we, we haven't filled out the application for all four of them yet and that is the concern that we have is that we don't we don't want to undermine that trust in the dts which means one of two things either you use the same key for all four of them but you don't put the key in until all four of them are totally verified and have uh, uh, met every requirement, or you have to split it up and use different keys for different uh, implementations. And that's something that the DTS, uh, or the, the Identity Management Steering Committee has been discussing a lot of, what is the best practice around that? And we should come up with some guidance in the, in the very near future. Yeah. Well, I mean, I mean, it's a challenge. You know, there is no best practice because it's brand new, right? So you're kind of testing things out and seeing what what makes sense. And I, um, one of the things I imagine the committee must have to balance is encouraging early adoption and use, and so not making it so restrictive that we unnecessarily slow it down with barriers, and at the same time, only create an ecosystem that is standards, compliance-based, and doesn't open it up so much for flexibility that it undermines the purpose. How are you throwing that needle, Mike? <laughs> Um, very carefully and deliberately, um, I think is the way I would s describe that. It is new. Um, this is the first digital trust service for digital credentials for MDL that has been stood up. So we're learning. Mm -hmm. And so we always, we always look back to the reasons we stood up the DTS and what it's for. And we, as we have the discussions inside the AMVA staff, and as we have discussions, as the steering committee discusses, whatever it is, whatever topic there is that we're talking about, we compare it to the original meaning of the digital trust service. We have to have trust. We can't undermine what this was established for. 
And we found that using that helps us make those decisions. And sometimes we, uh, the steering committee will, will give some leniency as long as it doesn't undermine trust. And so as we go through the applications and we see something that is just really going to be detrimental for the system, mm -hmm. they won't approve that application until that particular thing is fixed. But there may be some things that they're working on that will be done in you know, a, few, a couple of months or whatever the time frame might be that are not detrimental to the system or the customer using the MDL for their privacy and security, they'll be a little more lenient than that. That's what we've begun to see. And so it's, a, it's an ebb and a flow all, all the while looking at the reason we did it was to provide trust and interoperability and privacy and safety and security for our, for our members. Now, we've talked a lot about connecting with jurisdictions to get the keys in. What's been the conversation with those relying parties that we're hoping will come and retrieve the keys from the DTS? From the Envis side, uh, we just expanded our program, and we have a specific member of our team that is, is reaching out to our relying parties to talk to them about what it is, look at how they are, the relying parties are integrating MDL into their future programs, and trying to establish that relationship so that they know it's there, they know what it's for, they know what it's about, they see that as a good for them, for their customers, for the jurisdictions, it's a public good. And so we're, 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 we're talking to them in, that, in those tones. We've gotten, we've, we've reached out to a couple thus far. We just expanded our, our group, but we're having some positive feedback from, from, some, from some groups. Uh, we're talking to banks, we're talking to credit card companies, we're talking to um, point of sale manufacturers, equipment manufacturers, to try to get that in. So um, we've just embarked on this journey from an AMVA perspective, mm -hmm. um, and I do know that our, our jurisdictions, uh, Eric can speak more to this, they're, they're reaching out to their own relying parties and working with them as they're building their programs. Before I let Eric do that, though, I want to ask you specifically, the highest profile use case right now is TSA. And right now, as Eric mentioned, TSA is going independently and collecting the keys that they're deciding are the ones that are acceptable at the TSA checkpoint. Where are we in the conversations and where is that crossroads of, well, should TSA be deciding what's acceptable at the checkpoint, or should there be some sort of authority, whether ANVA or an independent one, that says, well, these are the compliant ones that you should accept at the checkpoint, and now come get the keys from here instead of collecting them one-offs? So we are having those discussions with TSA. Uh, they are, uh, now that we are live and have keys in our, our system, they are working to build an interface into our system to start pulling those down. Um, Again, TSA's uh, requirements are TSA's requirements, and they accept the credentials at their checkpoints that they so desire. But their, their goal is to get the compliant MDL keys from ANVA. Mm -hmm. That's what they want to do. And now they have to embark on that process to, to build the, the technical infrastructure to pull that, pull that back. And, and we are having uh, at least monthly conversations around when that could happen, how quickly that could happen. Sure, they need a critical mass on our side to make it worthy of switching over. Right, but they still have to build the interface. So they're building that so that when so that they can actually pull them down, start the test process, 
and then figure out how long it'll take to roll that out and, and do those things. How complicated is that? I mean, it, the, the DTS is a website with links on it. Is it, does it need a fancy interface or is this one of those classic cases of a government agency building a spaceship when a Ford will do? <laughs> no, it's, uh, it is very simple. You go to our website, you pull down the list and you have it. Now you have to, now you have to deliver that list to your reader devices. And so there's a, there's a few steps in there programmatically. So that's that probably on their end, the complication is probably more the dispersion of it on the TSA checkpoint side rather than TSA getting it from AMVA. Right. What does TSA do once it gets it? How do they get it out to the hope eventually thousands of readers, I would assume, in, in time, though we're not there yet. That's another conversation, but hopefully TSA will continue to push out that technology. But Eric, we paused there because we we're going to anecdotally in terms of that relying party conversation within Arizona. Yeah, absolutely. You know, speaking of the TSA, yeah. as a reliant party to begin with, sure. it's been a great experience to see that really start to be accepted. I flew out uh, here for the uh, coming out to, to Washington for the board meeting. So uh, used my used my MDL, no problem. Uh, I was easily accepted. They were even expecting it, which is a, a change that's occurred over the past uh, little bit. Yeah. So. Um, that acceptance, that use case is growing and growing and becoming more common. Yeah. That's key to all these other reliant parties, is to see that there is a good use case out there, that it is working. The fact that TSA accepts it is building trust and confidence with, with other reliant parties. Um, and we are starting to have others now reach out to us and say, hey, uh, we had, we had a, a, a major convenience store chain reach out to us and say, hey, should we be accepting these? Is this, how would we accept these? How does this work? We engaged Amba on that conversation, mm -hmm. um, trying to, to build that momentum. Banks have also reached out to us. We've had some of these conversations. The wallet providers, the app providers are also reaching out to different reliant parties with other use cases that, that, that might come into play. Arizona, uh, we're currently working on uh, a, um, a, a state-sanctioned uh, uh, age verifier uh, app that would go on a phone. Why? So that people know that they can that that they can use it, that it's trusted, that it's acceptable, that it's that it is an okay form. So we are starting to see that coming, and it is that first use case that I think begins to snowball this forward. So as, as that as that experience gets more and more common and and better, and I'll I'll tell you, I you know coming out the 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 quick tap look double click done mm -hmm. it's a fast experience it's it, at the TSA checkpoints it's it's fast i think usually the TSA agent is like wait what happened oh it's good go yeah, <laughs> you know yeah. so having that good experience i think is what will really start to to snowball that forward i've noticed the same with TSA officers in particular cuz they're just not seeing it enough to know, to get out of the habit of hand me the credential, and they go, oh, I guess you are good, go ahead. On the other side, though, have you seen others in line? Have you caught their eyes observing you using it and noticed any reaction, or is everybody just too stressed about the travel process that they're not noticing what other people are doing? It was funny. The other, the other week, I was actually, um, um, I guess last month, I was coming home um, from a little trip up to Salt Lake, and they have they have uh, readers there, and um, 
it actually wasn't my use of it. It was the guy in front of me's use of it as he, as he used it that started to disperse some conversation. He, he had a little chat. Line was a little slow, so we had a little chat with the TSA agent accepting his, uh, his MDL, a Utah MDL, mm -hmm. and then I was right behind it, which was their little chat was spurring other conversations in line right. um, that, that did begin to get people thinking, well, what was that? How, how do I get that? But, <laughs> so it's exciting to, to see that structure. And it must have been, I'm going to assume here, you didn't know who that person was in front of you. Or no. Somebody you knew. No, no, no. That was just somebody off So that's the kind of neat, yeah. right? To see, I mean, that's, you know, the first occasion I've heard of where you're traveling and people you don't know, people who maybe aren't part of our community are starting to use it. You know, it wasn't that long ago where unless it was you and the other DMV folks who were traveling with that tried to go up to the TSA checkpoint and use it. But the idea that there's already this seeping into a more general population that are using it um, for us that have been living it since 2015, it feels like a long time, but it really hasn't. Right, right. <laughs> so, it, yeah, I agree. It, it's, it, when it starts to seep beyond the community and you start to see it actually just being used, call it in the wild, <laughs> uh, that, that is exciting. That's and cool. it is showing that there is um, acceptance gaining. Um, as long as it's, you know, as long as it's, getting out there and being used and starting a conversation, yeah. I think it's a good thing. So, Mike, for jurisdictions that are issuing a mobile credential uh, and maybe haven't really started thinking yet about what they have to do to get their key into the DTS, where should they start? Uh, they should start on, on the website. They can get a hold of, of Amva at our identity management uh, page on our website. They can get a hold of us. We would love to, what we're finding is if, if the jurisdictions who are, who are already issuing MDLs will send us their public key, we can test it, see what, need, what uh, adjustments need to be made, and then they can make those adjustments before they submit their application, and we can work with them to do that. We found that, uh, we found that uh, with Maryland, that was a really good thing to do. Uh, Utah was, was the first application we received, so we didn't have that opportunity with them. Uh, and the states that we're working with now, we've gotten their keys early, and we've been able to work with them to get their certificates built properly. Um, so I think reaching out, going to our, our identity management page on the website and reaching out to the, the staff, well, we would love to, to work through their process. So the key there is before you jump into trying to do the paperwork and filling out the application, let's have a conversation. Let us talk to you about what the process looks like and can even test some things to make sure you're ready to even start the paperwork. Right, yeah. That, that would be helpful to the jurisdiction for sure uh, because most likely they're going to have to make some changes to their key, which means they have to update their key and update their MDL. So we, we would love to have those conversations early yeah. so that we can help them get them on. And it's, it's similar to what you're going through right now of updating your keys. For a jurisdiction that's already issuing and, and has to focus now on updating the key, Big lift, moderate lift, you know, what, what becomes that part of the work process for them to get ready to do this? Well, so if you've already issued the key once, you, you know what it takes technically to issue a, a second key or a modified key or, you know, um, something different. Uh, it's, not, it's not dissimilar. It's not a huge lift. You do have to, you have to get the new key. To roll it out um, means that you have to start... Um, pushing this, this new cer certificate out. 
the thing you have to be aware of is who has your old key and do they know to get the new key? Now, this is what the DTS solves. <laughs> but outside the DTS, that's where you do have to work with uh, your reliant party. So, for example, the TSA today, I think that's the, that's the big thing that we, we look at when we're, when we're trying to roll out a new key is, hey, I'm going to start rolling out a new key, but that means I need to have, DT, I need to have a TSA ready to accept my new key, or when somebody gets to the checkpoint, they won't be able to use their MDL, and we don't want that. I guess that comes back to that interface. If they have an automated interface, and they always know whatever's on the DTS is the most current, we could always rely on that. Exactly. Yeah. And there's that, that, that period of time where two keys are valid <laughs> for an MDL, and you have to work through that because you, you had the old key. Be the overlap. It's not unlike, uh, updating, not unlike updating your physical, and there's right. that, you know, in between of a little extension. Right, waiting on it to get to you in the mail that's kind right. of thing. So yeah, no, it's, it's not dissimilar at all. And now Mike, anyone that's interested in seeing what this DTS is, not unlike the identity page on the website you mentioned, the actual DTS is a public website that anybody can go and see. Yes, and it's, it's connected to our Envo webpage. Our Envo webpage is our Envo website. I mean, it won't, unless you're a relying party looking for that coded information, it won't, it'll look like gibberish. Right. But well, it's you, not under, it's not secret. It's not under lock and key. It's, it's intended to be as public as possible so that anyone can get to it that needs to get to the keys. Is there any risk of that transparency in terms of anybody being able to get to the public key? Can the you know bad actors do nefarious things by having access to those keys? Not by having access. Nefarious actors can today do things that you know, that you, you wouldn't want them to do. Uh, remembering that the MDL holder always has the opportunity to not interact with a relying party. Anyone can download the list of keys. Anyone can take and build a, a compliant reader, load those keys into it, and authenticate an MDL. Um, and it is one of the things on our scope inside of this this program is to determine how we can provide better services to our members by doing some kind of uh, onboarding or authentication of relying parties. That's down the road. That is definitely on our roadmap because that is further protecting the ecosystem. But for now, um, the MDL holder has the opportunity to not interact with someone they're not, they don't know or they're not sure of. Um, but the list, the keys themselves are public. Anybody can get them. There's nothing in there that's going to identify a person. All it really does is it's a, it's a token that allows the relying party to authenticate an MDO. Not unlike reading the 2D barcode today that's available, but in a more secure, advanced manner. Less data being transmitted manner, too. That's, that's key. Right now, 2D barcode, there's no way to... You get all the data. When you read the 2D barcode, you get everything as a relying party. With the MDL, you only get what the holder allows you to have, which is a much smaller set of data. Yeah, I, I think just to reiterate that point, though, the, the public key, the only use it has, the only thing it can do is help the reader. It, it doesn't have any ability to pretend to be something else. It, it is right, there to help the reader. That actor can't use it to then create a counterfeit MDL. Correct. Correct which I think would be one of the, you know, uninformed fears of right. what this being out there could, could lead to. Right. You're not handing them security features to say, go and create your own version of it. Right. Yeah. You're basically reading them the ability to read it. Mm -hmm. 
Good, good. Anything else about the DTS that we haven't talked about that you think at this point in time, I know you guys will be back in the future because this is evolving quickly, but at this snapshot in time, as we want the world to know about the DTS is live, keys are there, we're ready for more keys as quickly as the jurisdictions are, ready to talk to us, we want them in, we want relying parties to check it out and use it. Anything we've forgotten about? I think one other thing we would offer is if you're a relying party. Yeah. And you want to know more about it, contact our staff. Go to the same web pages and contact the identity management staff because we would love to have their experience mm -hmm. downloading those keys and, and for how they were able to use it. Was it hard? Is there something we can improve on? Because it is a public facing list of keys, but if the relying parties have trouble getting them downloaded and into their systems, we want to know that so that we can solve that problem. Um, so this is as much for them as it is for the issuing authority. So I'd love to hear from relying parties if they would like to participate in that. I, I think that's an excellent point. I mean, that was part of our mission as we set out to do this, was to make sure that whatever we do, whatever we provide, actually is working. It's doing the thing that we intended it to do, which was to build trust and adoption and acceptance of, of the MDL. So I would second that. Well, gentlemen, thank you as always. It's always a great conversation, and we know there's more to come. There's more on our website. Check it out. Contact Mike, contact Eric, contact any of us here at AMVA for more information. So thanks for being here. Thanks, everybody, for listening this week. Thanks to our producers, Claire Jeffrey and Chelsea Hadwin. Till next week, stay well. Thank you for joining us for AMVACast, hosted by Ian Grossman, produced by Claire Jeffrey and Chelsea Hadwin, music by Gibson Arthur. This episode was brought to you by Get Mobile ID by Get Group North America. Visit us at amvacast.podbean.com and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and Spotify.